And uh, he started going to a rise church. God met him, had a powerful conversion. We went to his baptism. He ended up doing two years of voluntary work for a rise. And anyway, last year, and then he got a job in the bank and uh, started working his way up. And then last year, a few of them were called to go to plant a church in Ottawa. So he went over to Ottawa with this bunch of young people. A great adventure. But um, he couldn't get a job because the qualifications for New Zealand banks are a little bit different than Canadian banks. So he, he saw this job he really liked. And he thought, well, and he applied for heaps and heaps. And he saw this job. He said, Dad, it's one job I really want to do. He rang me up one day. And he said, look, what I'm going to do, he said, I'm going to send them a cake into the office, a big cake to the office with a note on it saying, hi, my name's Andy, I'm from New Zealand, da 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 And I said to him, that's a flipping great idea, Andrew, it's out of the box. And I said, and he didn't have much money this time, and I said, big father's heart, I said, look, I'll pay for you. And it was about $100, it's quite a bit for a cake. So anyway, I had great expectations of this cake, I thought he'd be offered a job on the spot. But anyway... <laughs> He sent the cake, and I think somebody rang him up and, and uh, sent him an email and said thanks for the cake. And then he heard nothing from the, from the office at all. No interview, no job interview. And I thought, I've done my hundred bucks. But it's okay, because I really admired his attitude. He did something out of the box. And he went and got another job, which was just a kind of a fill-in job. And about three weeks ago, this guy from the, the cake place rang up and said are you still interested in the job and he said yeah too right I am he got an interview and he's got the job and he started about a week and a half ago and he just loves it wow. really loves it and they were calling him the cake man so <laughs> I thought it was great and you know he makes us really proud but the, the point is that he did something that was out of the ordinary and that's what got people's attention and I want to talk to you this morning and ask the question do you want to be a part of God's revolution because if you are, if you do, you're going to have to be a little bit different. And I'll show you why later on. John Kennedy said that conformity is a, the jailer of freedom and the enemy of growth. And I, I believe that. Now, one, of the, one of my favorite quotes is from a guy called George, George Bernard Shaw, which many of you will have heard about. He said, the reasonable man adapts himself to the world the unreasonable one persists in trying to adapt the world to himself, or in the Christian sense, to the kingdom of God. Therefore, all progress depends on the unreasonable man. So if we want to see progress, if we have to step out of the mainstream, as it were. Otherwise, we just go along with the flow and do what everyone else has done. And that's the same in church, the same in business, everywhere. So I want to challenge you this morning about being a nonconformist for Jesus. One of the books that I really uh, came across a few years ago, and Aussie friend will appreciate this, it's um, from a guy who started a chain of um, bread shops in Australia. And he wrote a book called Making Dough, and I can't remember his name, but he, he's, he's written this down. He said, if you want to do something different, get out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Now, we've got Love St. Albans coming up in 41 days' time. <laughs> and I know for some of you, it's feeling a bit challenging. It's going to push you out of your comfort zone. Well, if you want to... Make a difference, you're going to have to get out of your comfort zone. And the second thing he says is take a risk, smile. Ask yourself, how long am I going to be dead? You're going to be dead a long, long time. Well, so take a risk and enjoy life. It's easy to exist, but it takes a bit of effort to really live. Today, I wouldn't be dead for quids. 
And then he goes on, and I love this bit. He says, when you're little, when we're little, we're told, be careful. Be careful, Tommy. We start walking. Be careful, be careful. We get our push bike. Be careful, be careful. We start going to school. Be careful crossing the road. Be careful. We get our car license. We're told, be careful, be careful. We get our girlfriend. We're told, be careful, be careful. <laughs> we get our own businesses. We're told, be careful, be careful. Everyone tells you to be careful. No one tells you, take risks. Yeah. And sometimes if we're going to grow, we've actually got to take risks. Right. And we'll, sometimes we'll find that God is in it. So, Jesus was a nonconformist. Do you ever believe that? He didn't fit the mill. He didn't fit the, the ordinary paradigm. His message was a threat. He was a threat. His miracles were a threat. His lifestyle was a threat. His standards were a threat. He was and still is the embodiment of the anti-establishment mentality when the establishment is anti-God. The fact is that most of this world's establishment, whether it's the religious establishment or the entertainment establishment, or the crime establishment, or the media establishment, or the sport establishment, is either hostile to God or devoid of God. That's why the gospel is such a threat to the world system, even though the gospel message is actually one of peace and reconciliation. So we're gonna, today we're going to have a look at Jesus' ministry, his strategy, and some of the people that he used. And what we're going to look at is people who were firelighters, for God. Now, I've got a box of matches here. How many matches does it take to start a fire? Just one. One little match can start a fire. One person who's a flame for Jesus in a situation can start a fire. That could start a big fire. But you don't have to be a match. You can be a different kind of firelighter. Just the Warehouse one, I'm surprised it still goes, but goes. <laughs> or you can try one of the barbecue variety ones. These are great. Kids love. Yeah, what's going on here? No, no. That was a two-dollar shot one. <laughs> well, you can be one of those. You can be a firelighter for God. So we're going to look at some people who are non-conformists who lit fires for God. And the reality is, if we want the church to grow. It's going to grow with firelighters who are non-conformists, who are on the edge of things. Does that make sense? Because that's how God's fires for God start. And I want to look at some of these people. And the first person I want to look at is John the Baptist. He was the forerunner for Jesus. He lived in the desert. He had a coat, he had a coat made of camel hair. And he ate locusts and honey. How do you think he would have fitted in today's church? <laughs> Seriously? He was a nonconformist. He stood out. And he attracted people to him through his message. His message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here. And thousands came to see him because he was different. He stood out. Now, not, of us are called, not all of us are called to be John the Baptist. That's for sure. But we are called to be different for the kingdom of God. And John the Baptist was fearless. He spoke to his people of the day. You know, he called the, the religious people a, um, a, a brood of vipers. That's what he called them, the religious leaders, a brood of vipers. How to win friends and influence people, eh? Why did he do that? 
Because he couldn't care less about what people thought. He was more concerned about what God thought about the people that he was speaking to. And he paid the price. At the end of Luke, Luke chapter 3, it says, When John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, because this guy stole his brother's wife, and he did a whole lot of other things. John rebuked him. He challenged him about it and said, What you're doing is wrong. You know something? It cost him his life. He ended up in prison. He had his head cut off. What does it cost you to be a Christian? What does it cost you to be speak out for God in the situation that you're in? If you were arrested for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Think about it. The reason John was able to speak out because he was living for something greater than himself. He didn't care. He didn't care what people thought. And I know some of you, when we've talked about door knocking, you're afraid of doing it. Can I challenge you about that? What are you afraid of? Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of man is a snare. Who do you want to serve? God or man? See, we want to be nice. We don't want to offend people. But I tell you, the gospel is an offense. It is an offense. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you will offend people sooner or later. It's an offense just believing in Jesus for some people. If you want to be a revolutionary for Jesus... You're going to stand on some toes. But I want, to, I want you to, to do something when you go home, when you get up tomorrow morning, and you remember what I said. When you stand in front of the mirror, I want you to remember, and, and you're looking at yourself in the mirror, and you're thinking, do you look really good? You know, I've, <laughs> I'm actually quite a handsome dude, you know. And uh, maybe my teeth need to be a bit sparkly, but, you know, and the hair, yeah, I look pretty good. And you ladies, you, you've got a lot, lot, you spend a lot longer I know that because I've got a wife and you're putting your makeup on, it's got to look. So when you're looking in the mirror, just imagine you're looking in the mirror, in God's mirror. And remember what he said to the church at Laodicea. He said, you're neither hot nor cold. You're lukewarm. And he said, because you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. And I want to, when you look in, the, in God's mirror, I want you to ask yourself, am I hot for God? Or am I cold? Or am I lukewarm? Fair question? Will you do that tomorrow? And if you're lukewarm, you need to do something about it. What's the use of having a, a lighter that doesn't have anything in it, that's not working properly? It's not going to light anything. Do you want to be a revolutionary? Do you want to start some fires for God? Fires of love and truth. Because that's what we're called to do as individuals. Okay, let's have a look at someone else in the gospel. If you're going to start a Mark's gospel, you'll find that there's a progression of what Jesus does. Because there's John the Baptist, and then Jesus is called to ministry, there's baptism, then he goes out and does a few things, he calls some disciples, he starts teaching them, and in John chapter 4, sorry, Mark chapter 4, you've got four parables that he teaches them. The first is about the sower, the second about a lamp on the stand, and let your light shine out on the world. The third one is the parable of the growing seed, and the fourth one is the parable of the mustard seed. So he teaches his disciples about the importance of being out there, of planting, 
And guess what he does next? He takes them on a mission trip. Now, these are guys who are new disciples, and he takes them on a mission trip. And when you get into chapter 5, it's really interesting. And I'll just read the first verse. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerizines. Think, oh, that's okay. If I said to you that instead of going to Myrahau and doing our love St. Albans, we were going to go into Aranui, what would you say? <laughs> Some of you would say, I don't want to go there. Look, there's some nasty people that's got the, the street with the most number of murders in New Zealand. That's Hampshire Street. It's got gangs. It's got lots of gates that are locked with big, vicious, snarly dogs and people that I don't really feel comfortable around because they're different. And some of you would be a bit fearful. Do you know where Jesus took? He took his disciples into the Gerizines. That was the most Roman area in the whole of that area. That was the worst possible place he could have started them from in the sense of, of extremity. And uh, because they, it was Roman, it was what they call Hellenistic, um, they had their own kind of rules and everything. It was completely different to the Jewish world that Jesus and the disciples had been brought up in. And the first thing he does is take them into an area that they were uncomfortable in. Isn't that amazing? Some of the lights going on. And then what happens? They went across to the lake, to the region of the Gerizines. And Jesus got out of the boat. And a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. The man lived in the tombs and no one could blind him anymore. Not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hard and hand and foot. But he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to sojourn. And day and night he was in the tombs and all that kind of stuff. So, I want to say to you this morning, you might identify that person. You may feel like you're bound in chains and nothing can change for you. Jesus can set you free. You can be set free. Isn't it interesting? Or do you think it was just coincidence that he actually met that man? That wasn't by coincidence because the Holy Spirit was guiding him and guided him to the right place. Now, when you go on the, in, on the love from St. Albans thing, you are going to be guided by the Holy Spirit. Do you think you're going to meet nice, tame, ordinary, everyday people? What if you, you're, you meet somebody who's completely out of your box, completely out of your square? What are you going to do? You're going to remember the story of Jesus and what he did and how he ministered to the guy. So we need, need not be afraid. And look, I think for the disciples, it was a huge learning curve. The problem with the disciples, they learned a bit, and then they went back and, and carried on like that. So, but we need to follow Jesus' example and not be afraid to step out and to go into areas that are potentially out of our comfort zone. After all, we're called to be disciples. Jesus said, go into the world and preach the gospel. Go into Myra House and Auburn's, Aranui, everywhere, and preach the gospel. He didn't say stay in church and expect people to come to you. He said go into the world. And that's what we're going to be doing. And we're going to be lighting some fires. But furthermore, what we're going to be doing, we're going to be praying for people. To, for, we can find people that can start to light fires in their communities for the gospel. Yeah. And that's what happened with this guy. Good. So what happened to the man? Well, he was healed. He was miraculously healed. He was set free. And what you find is that the demons that were in this guy went into the pigs, and it's a well-known story. I won't read it all for you. 
and the pigs all went into water and they got drowned. And the people of the area begged Jesus to leave them. He begged them, they begged him to leave. They didn't want him there. What happened after that? Well, it says this, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus didn't let him, but said, go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all the people were amazed. Isn't that incredible? Go back to your own hometown. Go back to your family. The people whose lives you've wrecked, the people whose lives you've been embarrassment for, the neighbours whose homes you've destroyed, and the people whose lives you've, you've created turmoil with, go back there. He had no training. Didn't have a suit. <laughs> Don't you think it's pretty rough of Jesus to do that? Send him back to his own people? That's a bit out of the box. That's revolutionary stuff. What are you afraid of? Jesus sent him back. He was hardly a candidate for the evangelist of the year. He didn't even go to evangelism school. All he had was the knowledge that Jesus had set him free. And this man was different. So he went from being demon-possessed to being God-possessed. And he was hot. And that's what we need to be. That is a model for us in that sense. So, imagine what he smelled like. Imagine what his clothes were like. <laughs> Jesus sent him back. I find it astounding. And I think, man, this is incredible. He was the first missionary to the Gentiles. A demon-possessed man who had been converted, <laughs> had no background. <laughs> that kind of blows my mind. That's what we're going to have to expect. If we go into the community and we see God moving, we are going to start seeing people like that who will come into this church and they will change this church. Are you ready to be changed? Because if you just want people to conform to what we do, then it won't happen. We'll kill the fire. And that's what happens in revivals. The revival sparks, spark, and then try and fit it into a box and it won't happen. So what happened afterwards? Well, you can have a look in Mark's gospel. You can have a look in Matthew's gospel. This guy went out, back to his family. In Matthew 15.30, it's evidently the same area. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up into a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. This is in the same area where this demoniac who'd been converted went. The people asked Jesus not to come in there. Later on, because this guy had been sent out as an evangelist, and it's your evangelists who are the firelighters. And they're often people who don't fit into the box. They don't conform. And we need to expect that God's going to raise some people up like that. And we're going to give thanks to God for them when they come because they're going to stir us up a little bit and shake us up a little bit. Does that sound good? Okay. So why was he so effective? Well, <laughs> he had no fear of man. 
I mean, if you had had that experience, you wouldn't care less what people said. Because your experience was so powerful that you would know that what you're speaking was true. Sometimes, you know, I've been a Christian for a long time, and I remember when I first became a Christian, I was really on fire. And I have to admit that, you know, if if I look in the mirror tomorrow, I have to say, look, Lord, I'm not really on fire for you as I should be. I'm running out of time. I want my life to count for God. I don't want I don't want to waste it. You know? I want it to count. I can't live your life for you and you can't live your life for mine. But you can look in the mirror tomorrow morning and be honest about where you are. And if you're only lukewarm, then you need to repent and do something about it. We don't want a church of lukewarm people. We want a church of people that are really on fire for God. Okay. The next person we come to, John chapter 4. It's a, a well-known story, and it's, it's actually an incredible story. Um, and we'll start at chapter 4, John chapter 4. It's called The Woman at the Well. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John, although in fact it was not Jesus who baptized but his disciples. When the Lord heard of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now, he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? Because his disciples had gone into town to buy some food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not speak the Samaritans, it's in brackets. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And then it goes on, you know the story, the woman said, well, I've got nothing to draw with, and and Jesus said, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said, well, look, give me this water um, so I don't become thirsty. I won't have to keep coming back. And then Jesus said a very interesting thing. He said, go and call your husband. And she said, I don't have a um, And uh, she said, I don't have a husband. And this is in the days when living de facto wasn't exactly quite acceptable. She actually had five husbands, and she was living in a de facto situation, which is probably unheard of in that culture. Like, it's, it's bad enough today. I mean... She, um, yeah, I'll come back to that. So anyway, let's just go back a little bit. I'm jumping guns a little bit there, but that's right. Jesus went into an area called Samaria. <clears throat> and the Samaritans were a break-off group from the Jews, kind of from the northern kingdom. And the Jews looked down on them. They regarded them as ignorant and superstitious and outside of God's favor and mercy. And they wouldn't have anything to do with them. Generally, they walked around the area rather than through Samaria because they wanted to avoid people that they didn't like and didn't agree with. And so they walked around it. What did Jesus do? Again, he went right into the very area, into the heart of the area that his own people had rejected. And again, it's a challenge for us. I mean, there are people that I prefer to be with and people that I try and avoid. It's a challenge for me to talk to some people. A real challenge. So, interesting. 
She invented serial marriage, this woman, before Hollywood in the 21st century, in the 20th century. But she was an outcast. The reason she was there at the sixth hour, that was about lunchtime, in the blazing heat of the day, was that she had been rejected by everyone else in her culture. I mean, if you're a woman, and there was this woman who'd been married to five guys, and it's probably because she was barren, and she was trying to prove, because that was a curse in the Jewish culture. If you were barren as a woman, you were often subjected to ridicule because of your sin or your parents' sin or all the rest of it. And so she would have been ridiculed. And so she was serial marriage, uh, trying to prove that it wasn't her fault. And she's now with another guy. Now you imagine if you're one of the other women in the town, and everyone would have known her, how would you have felt about that woman? You would have been looking sideways, wouldn't you? You'd be thinking, I wonder if my husband's going to be next. So she was ridiculed by the woman, rejected by them. That's why she was there in the middle of the day, in the middle of the heat, getting some water. And Jesus comes to her. Do you think that was a chance encounter? No way. That was not a chance encounter. It was an encounter that was engineered by the Holy Spirit. The Father led Jesus there to meet with a woman who was desperate. A woman who'd screwed up in every area of life, just about morally, ethically. She had trodden everything of value underfoot in terms of, and yet she was like that because she had some deep, deep, deep needs. And so often we look at people and we look at their lifestyle and how they live and what they do. And we forget that sometimes it's driven by what's inside them. And we need to look, look past their behavior and look at what, how God sees them inside. Amen. She was a woman who was deeply hurting. And Jesus met with her and then started to draw her out. Just the very fact that he talked to her was revolutionary. In fact, she says that. How come? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and I'm a woman as well. That was even worse. Because women were way down on the social scale. He was talking to this woman. It was scandalous. Yet he did it. Yep. Went there. Now you know the rest of the story. He had a word of knowledge about her. He said to her, well, you actually don't, it's not one husband you've got. You've had, you had five husbands. He knew that. And this is where we need to walk in the spirit. That was the key that opened her up. And she realized that the person she was talking to was someone a little bit different. When we have words of knowledge, that's a word of, of understanding about someone's life that's given by the Holy Spirit that we can use to speak into their lives. People start taking atten paying attention. That's why we need to be spirit-filled when we go out. And we need to treat people with, with respect, no matter what they've done and the circumstances of life that they find themselves in. And I want to tell you what, if you do that, and that person comes to Jesus, that person may become a firelighter for God. Let's have a look at what happened to this woman. You read, read on further. Um, it goes on, uh, if you look in verse 39, I won't read the whole chapter. Um, or if we start at 27, I'll read a wee bit there. Then the disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked. They were scared to ask. It was a bit scandalous, you see. And then, anyway... Um, if you go on to verse 39, many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, 
They urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we've heard of it for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. So she became a firelighter. She started lighting fires of truth and love. She went back there. And again, it's the power of a testimony of a, of a changed life. You notice Jesus didn't say anything about the guy she was living with. He didn't say to her, well, you have to clean up your life first and, and, you know, and get married and you know, in six months' time you can start talking about me. He just let it go. She went back and she started talking because the Holy Spirit is better at sorting people's lives out than we are in church. God will convict people, and I've seen it. I've seen it. The power of a changed life. So why was she so effective? Well, if you'd been rejected by people in your community, you'd have no fear of God. <laughs> she had a tra radical transformation. And guess what? Woman like, talk, 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 talk. And they would have gone and talked, and she would have been told these people. The barriers that they'd put up, they were nothing to her. Because she had something that was greater. She had found something greater to live for. Yeah. So you prepared to take up your cross and follow Jesus. Because he says we have to die to ourselves, live for him. See, there are four things here, four things that are key. One is there's a message. Jesus had a message of the kingdom of God, a message that would transform lives. He was the messenger. We are also messengers. You are an ambassador for Christ. Jesus said, go into the world. Preach the gospel. You are a messenger. Male, female, young or old, you're a messenger for Jesus. And you are a messenger of the good news. And that's what we're going to be doing in the Love St. Albans thing. We're going to be God's messengers. Then there are recipients. Now, we don't know what the recipients of the messages are going to be like. But these are the people that we're going to meet when we go on this weekend. And when you knock on somebody's door... You've got no idea what's going to happen when the door opens. could be some great big six-foot-high hulk who looks down at you and, what do you want? I'm not a Jehovah's Witness, so you can just relax. <laughs> um, it might be some sweet young lady. It might be somebody who's really aggro, really having a bad, bad day. Marriage is just broken up. And you knock on the door, and they see this lovely face, love from St. Albans T-shirt on, and she's, the lady says to her, I've just been praying for a miracle. And you're the miracle. Do you want to be part of that? Yeah. I do. <laughs> As regards to St. Auburn's things, there's three questions you need to ask. One, is it of God? Second, am I called to be part of it? If you're not, that's fine. And third, if you are called to be part of it, which part do I need to play? They're the only three questions you ask. And we'll fill in the blanks for you after that. So are there any modern examples of people who have had radically changed lives? Well, I gave a quote at the start from a guy called Michael Brown who, um, about Jesus being countercultural. And he was a guy I first met um, at the Brownsville Revival in Pensacola a number of years ago. He started their school of mission. He's got the largest, largest radio show in America, um, Christian radio talkback show in America. An amazing guy, and he's written numbers of books. He speaks all around the world. He's he's from a Jewish background, and uh, he was brought up in a Jewish home. Did his bar mitzvah. He was about thirteen, fourteen. He found it utterly and totally boring. 
And um, he said how different it was with the gospel. He said, my first real encounter with the message of Jesus was powerful and vibrant. The people in the church I visited really believed. He said, I'd gone there to pull, pull out my two best friends. They were starting to change, and I was concerned, and my reputation was so horrific that one of the ladies wrote in her diary that night, Antichrist comes to church. That's what he was like when he came to the church. I really was a wretch, he said. I love to shoot heroin into my veins, to do large doses of LSD and speed, to listen to sinful satanic music and to cut people down with my sharp, quick tongue. My whole identity was caught up in being a proud, drug-abusing, rock-drumming rebel. Yet the work of the Spirit in my life was so dynamic that on my second trip to this little church, smaller than even my synagogue, I asked Jesus to forgive my sins, and shortly after that, I was free from drugs and drink, completely free. Wow. Then he started going to church. That amazing story. You see, it can happen. Yeah. That guy's gone on to have the biggest radio talkback, Christian radio talkback in America. He's written numbers of books. He's, he's from a Jewish background. He's a Messianic Jew. He goes into Israel. He, he debates, talks. He has, has gay people on his radio talkback. These are gays and tells them about the love of Jesus and the message of Jesus for gays. He has people threatening to kill him because he gives, shares the biblical message of truth. Isn't that amazing? That's the kind of thing we can expect as we look forward. So, music team, you might want to come up. I've lost my place here. Where do I get to? So, I guess the question is, do you want to pray for a revolution? Do you want to be part of a revolution? Do you want to pray that God will raise up people like that in the church? So we've got lots of ragged, rough edges where we get new people coming in. And lastly, when you go home and look in the mirror and look at your beautiful face in the mirror, will you look into God's mirror at the same time and ask yourself, am I hot? Am I cold? Or am I lukewarm? And what do I need to do about it? May the Lord speak to you as you do that. Amen. Amen.